please note that this episode of Bits and Bricks contains instances of misuse of the Lego trademark, which must always be used as an adjective and never a noun. As a reminder, it is never appropriate to refer to the company that designs and produces Lego brand products as Lego. Rather, the correct name for the company overall is the Lego Group. I hope that was severe enough. Was it severe enough? We get- yeah, that was great, Ben. We got it. All right. On with the show. Bits and Bricks. Welcome to Bits and Bricks, a podcast about all things Lego games. I'm Ethan Vincent. And I'm Brian Crescenti. Together, we look back at the rich 25-year history of Lego games, chat with early developers and seasoned studios who have all tackled the creation of video games for one of the most popular and respected toy companies in the world, the Lego Group. How's it going? Good morning, Brian. It's going great. So I'm curious. I know you have kids. Obviously, I have a child. Yes. Uh, what is your take on on children and video games? Like, at what age do you think it's okay to, for a kid to start playing a video game? Wow, that's a big question, Brian. It's one to really start the day. You know, who with, needs coffee? Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whoa. Um, let me just kind of from the hip tell you what I think. No, I I mean it's a huge topic and. I've seen that in my kids that there's just this affinity to do anything on a screen. And then, you know, if it's colorful and has sounds and it does things, they're sold. You know, it's it's a pretty easy target. But, uh, you know, kids do love those screens. And, you know, parents being on those screens uh, sure, you know, lures them in, I would say. Yeah, you know, I personally let Tristan, he's, he's now 20, but I let him start pretty early. Uh, playing games, but I, I still have sort of mixed feelings about when it is that you know it, when when it is it's okay. What's yeah. the what's the right time? Yeah, I'm glad that you let Tristan play now, though. It'd be weird if he was 20 and you kept you know no having games for you. Yeah, no games for you. <laughs> exactly. Well, so th- w- another thing I find interesting is that you know there there are these studies that come out every year and and stats and the average age of a person who plays video games today you know is is getting older and older. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still have, in terms of sort of studies and psychologists and, and doctors, there really still isn't uh, a, a fixed number or mm-hmm. I think even a fixed idea on when it is a child should start playing video games. It's something that continues to be debated. Um, there, there are all these studies out there with this conflicting data, so it's hard as a parent to kind of sort through that and, and make that decision. Yeah. One thing that seems to have really risen to the top, though, is that children under two— uh, probably shouldn't be playing video games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, does that mean that, you know, children from two to five can play as long as their time is limited? Yeah, I mean, that's like, I. so I did a little research uh, for this episode. I was looking at stuff and, and yeah, that's, it sounds like they were saying, you know, it's something like, uh, I think it was something like an hour a day. So they're saying two to five is okay. But I think what's really important to remember is that once you decide 
uh, that your child is is uh, should be allowed to play video games, or that you're going to allow your child to play video games. It, it's very clear from all the studies out there that video games can improve learning and social skills. Yeah, you know the reality is that video games are in fact a powerful tool for education and socialization, and, and I think that's why. The, the Lego group creates video games for preschoolers. Uh, and preschoolers, for those of you who aren't aware, would be kids who are, you know, roughly three to five years old. Yeah. So, so you know, over the years, the Lego group has released more than 15 video games developed for children under seven. In fact, one of its most popular mobile games remains a title created for four to seven-year-olds. Yeah, and we chatted with Thomas Grüner, who is the senior product lead at LEGO Games for the 7 and Under category, about the topic of video games in children. At the top of the list of questions we had was, why create video games aimed at children who are so young? That's a good question. Over time, we have seen that children of all ages are more and more present on the digital platforms. And for us as a brand, because of that, presence of audience, it also makes sense for us to be present where the kids are. And then, of course, what is important for us is that we are there with something that is is close to our brand values and everything. We have seen both in internal tests and partners tell us when they test that we seek to at least to extend the physical play or beyond the physical play and create that possibility. But another thing that we have also seen, and that's from the testing actually, is that when some kids are playing with our apps and games, we have, say, a bit more opportunity to uh, to go beyond the physical set. And what kids sometimes do is they basically take what they see, the play scene that they have completed or have been playing, and then they go back to their physical set and play that out. And that's a really interesting thing to be able to inspire back and forth between digital and physical. It's important to note just how seriously the LEGO Group takes not just traditional child safety, but also how its products can impact a child's growth. The LEGO Group's foundational mission is to inspire and develop the builders of tomorrow. And while that has long molded its approach to toys and physical play, it's also a guiding principle for digital play and video games. Put simply, the LEGO Group believes deeply in the power of play and how it can empower children to become creative, engaged, lifelong learners. And that philosophy is integral to how its video games, especially those aimed at such a young audience, are created. While the LEGO Group has been making or publishing video games for more than 25 years now, going all the way back to Sega's Fun to Build, games designed for preschoolers have a slightly shorter history. We talked about one of the company's first attempts at a Duplo game, Duplo Circus, in our episode about fluid play and the kid pad. But that 1999 game was mothballed. And it wasn't until about a decade later that the LEGO Group started releasing some early preschool games on smartphones. Back in those days, it was very much experimental because there wasn't, you could say, that much knowledge around uh, how these things worked and how they could perform and everything. Of course, there were some ideas, but it was very experimental and trying to learn from the different opportunities that we wanted to put forward. And then uh, I would say probably 10 years or a little bit more ago, all the different platforms of apps and, uh, and learning games came into focus. And it was still a very experimental approach to this, where we... Um, started with a number of Duplo titles, Duplo branded titles, 
from Duplo Zoo and Duplo Food. And some of these, you can say, eventually came into Duplo Town and Duplo Train, which were the titles that we have been publishing by ourselves until a couple of years back. So that was for the younger kids, you can say. And then for the little older, we had a product portfolio on the physical side called 4+, which was system brick-based. And Thomas noted, at the heart of those experiments and discussions was the overwhelming need to maintain child safety and create experiences that were age-appropriate. Today, when the LEGO Group is considering creating a preschool game, there's a process that includes a discussion based on a number of key factors. First and foremost, it's a strategic dialogue internally on what makes sense on the data that we get from the industry and figure out where it makes sense to be. And then eventually we have an open dialogue with partners or potential partners and have a dialogue on that perspective. As we partner with successful developers or publishers within the different areas of the industry, it's natural for us to have it as a dialogue based on what we know and based on their experience so that we come out with what we believe is the best possible representation. But the most successful preschool game to date, in fact, the most downloaded LEGO Group app in history, actually started out before any of those processes were in place. What would go on to be downloaded more than 200 million times and host more than 5 billion sessions started life as something called LEGO App 4 Plus in January of 2012. About a year after LEGO App 4 Plus launched, the LEGO Group returned to the publisher to ask if they could update the title. And, according to Christian Nogard, the developer wasn't interested. Christian, the CEO of Funday Factory, had recently hired a freelance developer who worked on App 4 Plus. So the LEGO Group came to Funday to see if the studio could do the update instead. We, of course, said yes, that we wanted to work with that. And so it felt very natural to dive into to working with it as a more games-as-a-service approach. The studio set about converting the game's flat 2D look to a fully rendered 3D world, and then eventually the major update went live along with the new name, LEGO Junior's Create and Cruise. <laughs> it's a game that was created and designed for uh, onboarding preschoolers, like yeah, four to five-year-olds, to, uh, to the LEGO brick building experience, if you could say it in that way. There is like these three main parts of the game that you, you start out building your own minifig, and then you build your vehicle or your ride, and then you drive these different surroundings, collecting coins and having fun. <laughs> Originally, it had a few extra features, but very early on, we, we tested it with kids in the target group and just cut down features to make it more simple and having like a few but fun activities. And I think that corresponds very well to also what the target group is is um, defined by these uh, preschoolers. They, uh, they, they really like to master and, and, and learn stuff that they already know, but they also, when they have learned the rules and uh, have figured out how the game is working, then they also like to start bending the rules and also seeing if they can break some of the rules. And that was actually some of the things that also during the updates came in as a part of the progression design of the game. Initially, Funday Factory had a blank canvas upon which to update and expand the game. So the team decided to showcase the LEGO Brick experience, and in particular, the minifig. You can build your own uh, minifig in the beginning of the game. 
we somehow succeeded with getting that minifig builder through the different marketing departments. So you can build your own pirate Batman with with long hair, for example, and a, and a wooden leg. Yeah, booyah. And I think that is perhaps some of the true uh, Lego DNA, at least from my side, from both playing with Lego in my childhood, but also with my kids, that you have endless possibilities of combining both minifigs and, of course, bricks to create your own stories and create your own characters and your own narrative around the characters. And again, with respect to the target group, I think this is a very safe but also very fun way to experiment with what minifig you want to create and what kind of character that would be fun to play with in the game. The developers also weighed the importance of not just providing a fun and educational experience for preschoolers, but also winning over their parents. We always, when working with both preschool and also kids as a target group, of course, think of context. And when you think of context, then parents, it's always a huge part of that context. And also, like, friends is also a part of that context, of course. And I think some of the, the elements here was that it should be easy to show progress also to others. Uh, so the child showing uh, the, the progress in the game and, and what they create themselves in the game to parents should be easy. Uh, we also worked with creating sounds in the game that was very recognizable. And, and when you, you honk the horn, uh, you can also get the minifig to say this. <laughs> which I think some parents really liked and others probably also started to, I think hate is a strong word, but, <laughs> but, but uh, I suspect some parents recognized it pretty easily. Let us put it that way. So I think that was also a couple of the the interesting takes that at least from us as a game producer and game creators uh, was pretty fun to work with. Thomas Grüner said that the LEGO Group hosted frequent playtesting sessions to weigh the game experience against the reaction of the preschoolers and the parents concerned about its impact. When we do playtests, we have done them both physically and digitally and our partners as well. Before Corona and everything, and we had physical playtests, we would often observe kids and how they were interacting and playing with the different type of products. And at the same time, or after at least somehow, we would interview parents. So we would talk to them about, you know, what are their interests? What platforms are they on? You know, what's interesting for them from a communication perspective so that we uh, learn from both the parents and the kids in parallel what works in their perspective. I think that there are a broad range of parents across all societies and some are, some are more keen to digital experiences than others. And it's never going to be possible to satisfy all parents or all types of parents. But we definitely aim to, uh, to satisfy as many as possible with something that is safe and age-appropriate and set the bar high on every aspect of this. Funday Factory has learned a lot over the years through their playtesting. One of the key learnings early on, Christian said, is to spend more time observing how the children interact with the game rather than asking them questions. Observation is the key in how we have playtested. We really like to playtest with different parts of the target group, so having like three or four-year-olds in playtesting and also like five, seven, 
uh, eight-year-olds in and play testing to hear how they thought of the game and see how they interacted with the user interface or if they thought it was fun or too challenging and and like how the right balance between challenging and fun and also mastering the game should be. So observation and observing the kids was a key element in our playtesting. And then uh, we also, during 2013, 15, 16 or something like that, established a meeting facility within uh, the Funday office uh, where we, we call Grandmother. And the grandmother room was was like, it looked probably mostly like a, a Danish grandmother's room with old furniture and and some uh, some nice paintings and also some stuffed animals. So I think for most of the kids, they really liked the room because it was cozy and it was nice and it felt like a warm room. And then there was a couple of kids from time to time that was really scared about the animals in the room. And when there were kids scared about the animals, and it, it was like it was a bird and it, it was also a fox in the beginning, but we threw the fox out because that was, that was too scary. But from time to time, we really destroyed and ruined the test because the kid was scared of the animals in the room. But often, we managed to have a really nice atmosphere of, of coziness and uh, and like kind of a, a home feel that we conducted the test in. It was very, very important for us. It shouldn't feel like a laboratory or it feel, shouldn't feel like that they were out of their comfort zone. It should be a, like a, a nice, nice surroundings. In that setting, we often got a more honest reaction also. LEGO Junior's Create and Cruise got regular updates for nearly seven years as it continued to bring in a massive audience of children. Over time, the game evolved with, of course, updating when there was new uh, LEGO Junior's products that needed to be a part of the game and needed to be showcased. And also uh, with the overall like visual quality and the, the, the juiciness of the game and also the rewards relating to the gameplay. I think it was very often centered around the SKUs and the new LEGO Juniors models. But of course also in relation to the visual experience and also just boring stuff like being compliant with a lot of different devices and having the, the big reach it, it had. Christian thinks the game's over-the-top popularity was because of a number of factors. It was a combination of the simplicity and the very focused design process of catching the preschoolers' uh, curiosity and attention. It was a combination of them both having some rules to follow and some elements to master, but when they have mastered those elements, then they could start also bending the rules. And the progression in the game worked actually towards bending the rules. So you start up in a pretty like safe setting, in quotation, with a building like minifix as you know them and, and also building vehicles as you know them. But during the progression of the game, you can slowly build like, a, then you can build a helicopter and then you can build some new, a bit more experimenting minifix with, with combinations that, that are not obvious. And then when you have played the game a lot and progressed a lot, then you can also start making vehicles that actually had Lego legs instead of, uh, instead of wheels and so on. So you are rewarded with a lot of creativity when you progress through the game. It is a challenging group, uh, but I think some of the things we did was these uh, short, intensive bursts of fun and also rewarding tasks. And you, uh, in, in creating crews, they, they cruise for coins, so there's always coins to collect. And it's very short levels where you unlock these rewards on each completion after a level. And I think that that was with respect 
to preschoolers' attention span. I think that was a very wise decision to have a very short game loop, but also a game loop where they slowly would go from just making a vehicle drive to slowly mastering it and then exploring much more of the Lego building experience. The Lego Junior's product range, which were construction toys created to bridge the gap between the larger Duplo bricks and the traditional Lego system, was shuttered in 2018, which is about when Christian and his team learned that the game was going to be shut down as well. Of course, retiring the Lego Junior's uh, product line also meant that the app was, it was pretty obvious to retire the app or at least give it a very, very good and decent thought about how a, a possible future life for the app should be. Today, some of those children who played Lego Junior's Create and Cruise when it first launched as preschoolers are likely entering high school. And Christian says he occasionally hears stories of how much they enjoyed the Funday Factory title. I actually hear uh, quite a few, both uh, colleagues and friends and family, talking about their kids played that game a lot in those preschool years. And actually, also some of them still plays it from time to time just to get a little comforting like spark from their childhood. And actually, I also just opened it on my iPad, which is quite old, and I hadn't erased for quite a long time and just played it. And I think there is a lot of teenagers out there who has spent quite a a few uh, joyful hours in that game. And that's really, really fun also as a game developer to hear those stories from your kids' friends now. That's something that makes you proud. Lego Duplo World launched in October 2019 and continues to thrive to this day with more than 20 million downloads. It's the product of Story Toys, a studio that made a name for itself as a developer of popular children's games, including one based on the award-winning children's picture book, The Very Hungry Caterpillar by Eric Carle. Story Toys started out about 10 years ago. This is Emmett O'Neill, CEO of Story Toys speaking. And it was in the earliest stages of the App Store. In fact, the company predates the Apple App Store. But we were working on technology that was basically about trying to bridge the gap between reading and between um, interactivity and play. Uh, I only joined the company eight years ago, but they were basically at this for a couple of years before I joined. And yeah, we basically wanted to make content that could... I guess just allow children to interact with devices. Suddenly, when touch screens came about, interaction with younger kids became a really, really different thing. I mean, if you think about it, prior to the iPhone and iPad and all of that sort of thing, a kid interacting with technology was a kid interacting with a mouse or a controller for a video game system or something like that. And really, you know, very young kids couldn't do that. Whereas suddenly, when touch became the primary means of input, well, you know what? Every kid knows how to use their fingers. And and actually, as part of a kid's development, developing out their fine motor skills, all that kind of thing is, is a really, really important thing. So yeah, suddenly when touch came out, it enabled the creation of content for kids much, much younger than you could have before. And for me, what was really nice about that was It was about making interactive content and educational content instead of just passive viewing content versus, you know, traditional animation or something like that. Emmett always wanted to work with the Lego group, but he felt they were so big that they were unapproachable for a small company like his. But then one day, an email from the Lego group showed up in StoryToy's general mailbox. They were looking to reinvigorate their games line in the preschool space and wanted to talk to the studio. 
Getting a cold email from a massive company never happens, Emmett said, and he jumped at the opportunity. My own children, who are now uh, 21 and 19, uh, grew up playing titles like the Lego Batman titles, the Lego Star Wars titles, you know, all of those incredible TT games that Lego have made over the years. So I was very aware in the context of uh, watching my own children and sitting down and playing with them myself, you know, very, very aware of the legacy of games that Lego had had. And, uh, you know, not just the the TT titles, but, you know, kind of quirky interactive titles like Life of George, that kind of thing. You know, when you're working in the app space and working in the game space, um, you keep an eye on what everybody's doing. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say I had pretty strong familiarity with what the Lego group were doing in the game space at that time. The email said that the Lego group was looking for new studios to work with, and they had seen Story Toys' Hungry Caterpillar app. So because the LEGO group are so secretive, they wouldn't really quite tell us much about what it was they wanted us to build. So they sent us through one really, really blurry image embedded in a Word document of an underwater Duplo set. And that was, and, and now there was a brief, obviously, but it was largely text. There was no kind of supporting visuals, except, as I said, for this heavily watermarked, really blurry image. And they basically said, we'd like you to create a play experience based around this upcoming set, unannounced, unreleased, so we can't share any more details with you. But, you know, <laughs> please, uh, please figure it out and uh, send us back a prototype within six weeks. Now, to be fair, it was a more reasonable ask than that. And of course, there was opportunities for questions and what have you. But it was, uh, it was really interesting because basically we had to make an experience based off this image. We were enthusiastic about it. We really, really wanted to work with the LEGO group. So we threw our all into making the best interactive experience that we could in a six-week period. And honestly, you know, like, we did a pretty good job. Like, I mean, their expectation was, so usually in video games, you you might produce wireframes or prototypes or something that was primitive 3D objects that kind of gets your point across. That's usually the early stage prototyping. We didn't want to do that. We wanted to actually get to the point of having something that looked like, at the end of a six-week process, a releasable game. Um which was, you know, that was the challenge we set ourselves. Certainly, the LEGO group didn't come to us with, and give us any such unreasonable demands, but we basically, um, uh, we wanted to create something that was finished, polished, and, and honestly ready to ship. Yeah, it was an intense six weeks, but I, I think by the end of it, we, we actually had a pretty good product um, back to them, you know? Along with the polished prototype, Story Toys also sent a deep dive into the studio's approach to video games, child education, and development. You know, fundamentally, children are learning all of the time. So whether you have a kid sitting by themselves with no toys in a room, observing the world around them, or whether you have a kid sitting in a buggy on a busy street, the kid's learning about things around them all of the time. So how do you make that child's experience be a positive and fun experience that allows the child to build and grow. At the heart of it, that's the starting point. But then with each section within each app, we would have specific learning goals. Uh, Say in a Duplo context, it's really about discovery. It's about the child exploring and learning and finding things out themselves. If you can put the tools in front of a child for them to discover something themselves, and feel proud of that discovery, 
versus spoon feeding content or having, you know, overly uh, prescribed content, that's a real win for me. So in the context of Lego Jupla World, we really wanted to just enable an analogous play experience, something that felt to the kid like their Duplo bricks had just come to life. The Lego group was impressed with the prototype and the company's take on preschool video games, so they reached back out to Story Toys about putting a contract together. But there was an unexpected hurdle. So Lego said to us, this is going to be a work-for-hire project. And I said, well, we don't do it, but, you know, you are the Lego group, so in this context, yeah, absolutely, we'll, um, we'll consider it. However, what we would like to do is start a very low-key exploratory engagement initially. And during the course of our conversations, we would like this not to be a work-for-hire engagement. We'd like this to be a licensing engagement. So basically, what I put to them was, at any stage during the journey, they could stop paying us. And the fundamental difference would be that we would publish the app rather than the app being published under Lego Games or the Lego Group's profile. So that was initially, uh, I think, met with some skepticism. But basically, we kept the contracting very, very light initially on the basis that we hadn't really agreed those, those, sort of, those broader terms and broader parameters for, um, for moving forward. But you know, during the course of development and during the course of discussions and many conversations, both in person and, uh, and remotely, we eventually reached a point of agreement where the LEGO group felt that the best way of this app moving forward is for you guys to, um, to publish it on an ongoing basis. With the contract locked down, Story Toys started development on Duplo World using its particular philosophical approach to educational games. My goal is always, how does the app work? The app works however the kid thinks it should work. If a child chooses to tap where they want something to interact, you know, that should work. If a child chooses to drag, that should work. If a child chooses to mash their face against the screen, something should happen. So that was kind of one of the really key underlying philosophies in the early design stage. So. What we really had to try and figure out was how can we make these characters and bricks work in such a way that it's completely fluid, that it, it just works by itself almost. So we made prototypes. We made lots and lots and lots of prototypes. Whether it was just a character walking across the screen or whether it was how you put two bricks together, Every single component, we'd build these tiny little micro-prototypes. At the time, we, we were able to gather large groups of children and parents to play with these things. So we'd set up these test areas where we'd have lots of physical Duplo product in hand because it was really useful for us to, to observe kids playing. But then we would also give them little prototypes. And as I said, that could be as simple as one little Duplo figure in a void and you know, what happens when they tap it? What happens when they pick him up and drop him on his butt? What happens when they tap him multiple times? What happens when they drag him from point to point? And, you know, we got the characters pretty quickly, the characters and animals. And we found, like, kids were playing with them for sort of eight minutes at a time, you know? Now, our goal had been that they'd play with them for more like 80 seconds because there wasn't much in them. You know, so once we'd hit those kind of playtime metrics, and most importantly, the kids were laughing. Kids were calling their moms and dads over and saying, hey, look what I just did. And, you know, once a component was doing that, we knew that component was ready to go into product. 
So the characters were easy. But then when it came to bricks and how bricks click together and how, how you build things, that proved to be much more complicated. Um, we wanted people to be able to like deconstruct the backgrounds, to be able to pull bricks out, to be able to bring things from scene to scene. Um, we had all these really crazy three-dimensional building goals and uh, really lofty ambitions. And we built them, you know? We built prototypes to demonstrate these things. But as soon as, of course, we put them in the hands of three-year-olds, either they were massively confused by what they were doing, or they couldn't use it, or they ignored all of this, you know, cool in a 40-year-old's head uh, functionality that we thought that they might like. So we had our setbacks where we would build and prototype and find actually our hypothesis of play. And each prototype would be exactly that, a hypothesis of play. And sometimes we, you know, we'd get it very, very badly wrong. The Story Toys team designed Duplo World to evolve after it was launched with support for a wide variety of environments and different play patterns. We wanted there to be something for the kid who loved animals. We wanted there to be something for the kid who loved vehicles. We wanted there to be something for a kid looking for rescue adventures like um, firemen, that kind of thing. So once we'd put together our core interactive components, we started thinking about, okay, how do we pull these into play sets? Sets that didn't necessarily mirror the boxed Duplo sets as they came out, but were kind of inspired by. So rather than taking a specific box, we might take a theme, for example, a world animals theme or something like that, and use all of the sets related to that. And even back catalog Lego sets that were no longer available. We just wanted to use all the bricks. And, you know, this was kind of, I guess, a point of tension a little bit between us and the Lego Duplo team. Because for me, the magic of playing with Lego Lego is that you can dump all of those bricks out onto the floor and you probably have some from some sets, you have some from other sets, uh, you have some that used to belong to, you know, your cousin who's now 50 or whatever, you know, like you, you like it doesn't matter how old the bricks are, they still work together. So, so everybody's sets tend to be a jumble of all sorts. I wanted some level of that within the apps too. Ultimately, the game provided a free experience that included a number of core levels, but with the ability to purchase future levels at a set price. Those levels were priced separately, but the team recently added a Duplo World subscription as well, which gives players all the levels for one annual price. We stuck with the in-app purchase content, but we continued to introduce new content over the last two years. We've continued to do so. So we found one challenge in that every Lego Duplo app previously released had been free with no in-app purchases. So there was definitely a little bit of a, um, a behavioral shift for customers. So the first challenge was to get parents to accept that this costs money to make, it costs a lot of money to make, and to be done in a sustainable way on an ongoing basis to, to produce the best possible content, we need to be able to monetize that. However, the very reason being customer satisfaction and to avoid customer complaints, the very reason we'd stuck to in-app purchases in the first place, turned out to be sort of negative in some ways because parents were buying items and then we were releasing new items. So we wound up getting some negative customer reviews saying, hang on, I already bought content. Now there's new content and I have to buy this new content. That doesn't make any sense. Um, the expectation was once they had made a purchase, 
that they would get all content forever for free, which again, that's a very difficult business model for us to work with in terms of our costs on producing new content are, are ongoing. So ultimately, just in August, we introduced subscription as a choice. So a user can buy the content if they want to, or they can subscribe to the content if they want to. But we've now, we just felt the best thing to do ultimately was to offer the user that choice. Nearly two years after its release, Emmett says Duplo World is the best thing the team has ever made. But the reaction? Well, at first it was very quiet. We've made a lot of really good apps, but I was really, really proud of this. We kind of poured our hearts and souls into it. And it came out, and nothing happened. Um, nobody downloaded it. None of the kind of big review sites picked up on it. It received very muted featuring from the app stores. And when you're trying to get something off the ground, and then suddenly it's just like nothing happens, and there's no reaction I Yeah, I have to say, I think I probably came as close to leaving the app space as I have in a 10-year period. It was really, really um, disillusioned and upset. Um, but slowly, over the course of time, people started downloading it, people started reviewing it, and people realized, you know what, this is a really good app. This is, this is a really positive play experience. It's nicely done, the interaction's good, the learning is solid. And so we slowly over the course of sort of five or six weeks, maybe even two months, slowly started to pick up customers, started to get some positive reviews. And that was kind of just in place in time for Christmas and the holiday season. And that's when it really, really started to take off. But, you know, before I talk about any level of of success of the app, I think it's really important to point out when it launched, it actually was, it was probably our worst launch ever. I mean, it was, it, was, it was desperate, you know? Since that rather flat launch, the game has gone on to win numerous awards, including a prestigious kids' prize at the Consumer Electronics Show. Emmett said it hit its first 10 million downloads within the first year and has now already topped 20 million and continues to thrive. Over the course of the past decade, the LEGO Group and the developers who work with them have learned a lot about how to create engaging, educational, screen-based experiences for children. And everyone involved continues to follow the discussions surrounding children and screen time. It's an interesting topic because it's also something that we follow. This is Thomas Gruner speaking. Whether it's in the media or through different authorities. I think that what we try to acknowledge is the fact that much like, I would say, nutrition, <laughs> you need a diet that is varied, that basically gives you different types of nutrition, I would say. So that way, we definitely acknowledge that uh, it's not healthy for anyone to you know, sit in front of the screen all the time. But when they do, and when their, their parents uh, accept it, we of course prefer that it's a, a legal branded title that they consume. While the LEGO Group published more than a dozen preschool games, LEGO Junior's Create and Cruise and Duplo World serve as both testaments to the power of children's titles and as clear indicators of how the company's approach has evolved. Christian notes that the games have also helped introduce a lot of children to LEGO toys. I think in that perspective, it has had a huge effect. And again, with plus five billion sessions, the reach has been enormous. Of course, also being one of the first apps ever from the LEGO Group and 
if I recall right, the first app that the Lego Group updated, introducing like games as a service and working with software as a service also was a part of that development from 2012 and, and onwards. And Lego today is, of course, a much more software-driven company with a like a software as a service and games as a service and apps as a service as, as a part of perhaps not their uh, DNA, but as a very part of their operational model, as, as I understand it. The reason to make games aimed at preschoolers is, of course, to help and nourish them in some of the things that is already going on, both in their, their lives and, and in their minds. I also think that during those years that the game was alive, that a lot of things happened and a lot of uh, other great companies also and pushed the bar in relation to how to, to create games for preschoolers that helps them develop some of their more, more like both social and and cognitive skills. Emmett says that he's reminded of the lasting impact these games have on the children who played them as they grow up. Just recently, he found his son, who's now 21, at the kitchen table drinking a beer and, to his surprise, playing an online game from his childhood with his buddies. You know, I I suppose sometimes I wonder, like, whatever about the, the lasting impact on the person, if nothing else, maybe there's like a, a level of nostalgia to looking back on these things at a future date as I witnessed him and his uh, him and his friends doing. I do think that, you know, on my better days, I hope that we help to positively influence the kids of tomorrow, that the kids, whether they remember playing with our apps or not, you know, are maybe a little bit smarter and a little bit kinder than, um, than, they, than they may have been had they been exposed to different content. Bits and Bricks is made possible by LEGO Games. Your hosts are Brian Crescente and Ethan Vincent. Producing by Dave Tack. Our executive producer is Ronnie Scherer. Creative direction and editing by Ethan Vincent. Research and writing by Brian Crescente. Art direction by Nanan Lee. Graphics and animations by Manuel Lindinger and Andreas Holzinger. Mixing and sound design by Dan Carlisle. Disclaimer voice is Ben Ungren. Openings child voice is Milo Vincent. Music by Peter Primer, foundermusic.com, and excerpts from Lego Duplo World and Lego Junior's Create and Cruise. We'd like to thank our participants, Thomas Kruner, Christian Norgard, and Emmett O'Neill. We'd also like to thank the entire Lego Games team, for questions and comments, write us at bitsandbricks at lego.com. That's bits, the letter N, then bricks at lego.com. And as always, stay tuned for more episodes of Bits and Bricks. Yeah.